I'd like to begin this morning with a little word that the Father laid on my heart Monday morning. I guess for the past month now, God has been waking me up every morning at 3 o'clock, very early. Come to find that that's, that's the witching hour. And so that's the hour that He's calling me to wake me up to pray specifically for our church, our church family, our church home, everything. And so I've been in, in prayer, but, but this, this past Monday, uh, after I'd prayed, I, I tried to go back to sleep for a while. It didn't happen. And so I just got up and went out to water the foundation of the earth. I mean, not the earth, but the house that I live in. And I'm watering out there, but, but the word came to me and the scripture was in Philippians where it said uh, to do everything without arguing or complaining so that you may become pure, blameless children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And so that, that scripture was laid on my heart and then the Spirit spoke to me saying, when we argue, when we complain, when we bicker, and we mumber, mumble, what is that? When we do that, it's to the devil what worship is to God. And so when we get in our pity party, or self-centeredness, and we begin to argue and complain about every little thing that's happening around us that's perfect for the ears of the devil. In other words, in your complaining, you're bringing worship to the father of this world, the devil. So next time you begin to argue or complain about whatever it is that's troubling you, you're just worshiping our enemy. So I say you need to drop that bad seed and cut that root where it belongs, at the bottom, and get rid of it. Because I'm telling you, God dwells in the praises and the worship of His people. Are you with me so far? <laughs> Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, go with me this morning to the book of John. Here's my lesson today. <laughs> I didn't mean to get my preach on before I get my preach on. Okay, man. But, but I think sometimes we need to hear a fresh word from heaven. And, and that's basically what I try to, to bring to this church every week is, is something that most preachers are not willing to speak on or teach on. But if you find your place in the book of John chapter 19... We're going to read verses 28 through 30, but before I read our text this morning, I'm not going to have you stand yet. I may in here in a minute. But I, I want to share a few things first with you before we even get to our text. First of all, in our text today, we're going to be reading what I feel is the three most important words of the entire Bible. And this is my opinion, so when I say it's my opinion, that, that means you can take it 
or leave it. You're not going to hurt my feelings if you disagree with me. That's just your choice. But, but I do believe that the moment that I read these three words today, you're going to be in 100% agreement with me. Come on, amen. Because you see, in these three words today, we, we find that they will glorify and they will magnify and they will illuminate, which means to give you understanding of everything that the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. If you're a note taker, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Paul says, for he, referring to the Father or the Son, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, through whom, listen, through whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And so th this word redemption not only means to pay for someone's penalty, but it also mainly means the clearing and the canceling of a man's debt that he owes to God. Peter says it like this, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but it's with the precious blood of Christ. Everybody say the blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, it was only by the blood of Jesus that you were redeemed from the penalty of sin, death, and hell. Are you with me so far? I love the words of Dr. Luke, who writes in Luke 19 and 10. He says these words, For the Son of Man, who is who? Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so this, this brings up the question, what exactly was it that was lost? I'm going to make it real simple for you. First of all, mankind was lost. Are you with me so far? Our relationship with God was broken. It was lost. We were separated from the Father. The, the access into the Holy of Holies no longer existed. It was broken. Eternal life was lost. Are you with me so far? Paul says it like this in Romans 5, 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, we became the righteousness of God. And so God wants to, to put back you and I in right standing with us, um, with him. And the only way he could do that was not by the power of men, not by the power of his own strength and power, but only by his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Let me just say it like this, and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it, that only God 
could save you from God. Let that soak in. Now our text this morning is going to be an unusual text. It's one that you usually hear, mainly hear preached on Easter morning. Hallelujah. But like that great philosopher once said, Forrest Gump, you never know what you're going to get. Especially when you step in this church because I'm here to tell you, I bring an unusual message and I'm not ashamed of that fact. But the fact is that God is still speaking to his people. And he uses simple individuals like myself to do that. And I praise God for that opportunity. So if you got John chapter 19, stand with me as we we read verse 28 through 30. I like how God's speaking to y'all before he even gets to the text. It's been like four weeks now. I like this. It's like you're getting a preach before you even get the preach. Maybe he's just using that as as a means to build us a good foundation, and that's probably the truth. John 19, verse 28 through 30. The Bible says later, later knowing that everything, everybody say everything, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled Jesus said, I am thirsty. I'm wondering right now, was he more thirsty for water as he was thirsting for the fulfillment of the prophecy written about him? But my guess would simply be this. I think he was thirsting for both, especially what they put him through. Are you with me so far? Verse 29 says, a a jar of wine vinegar was there. Now, stop there for a moment. That, 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 that is the, the Greek word oxos. And, 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 and what we don't understand is that this wine vinegar wasn't a, a sweet tasting type of vinegar, but, but oxos was the most bitter, foul tasting vinegar that you could buy on the market at this time. In other words, they put something foul, undrinkable in the sponge to put it up to his lips. Are you with me so far? And so they soaked the sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had finished and when he had received the drink, Jesus said these three words. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I've always liked what the King James Version said at this point right here. It said that he gave up the ghost. Man, in my spirit, I feel there's a metal, Christian metal song that needs to be written by Stain Red called, Giving Up the Ghost. Come on, amen. That sound pretty good to you, Dave? Giving up the ghost. All right, we have to work on that. Anyway, if you got your heads bowed right now, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. We humble ourselves before you even now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I am reminded that when the Apostle Paul came to the island of Malta, 
Lord, the people showed him unusual kindness. Oh, Father, they built a fire for him to show them they had love. Father, I just pray that right now that the fire of God would fall fresh on these lips of clay. I pray that you let the oracles of God flow from these lips. I pray that you give me the grace, Lord, to preach your word in season and out of season. Help me to correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. Father, just move by the power of the living God upon the hearts of your people because we don't serve a dead God today. Father, we serve a living God. And Father, we just ask right now that the living God would touch every life in this building from the youngest to the oldest. We receive your word even now by faith. And we're so thankful today for those three words it is finished and we praise you right now in the mighty name of Jesus and God's people said amen and amen you may be seated in the presence of the Lord God Almighty let's begin this morning with the title of our sermon I, I guess you can probably guess it by now but our sermon is simply entitled it is finished boy does that sit good in your spirit it is finished I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and say neighbor did you know that only God himself could finish and complete what needed to be done are you with me so far hallelujah So when Jesus said these words on the cross, he's saying them even today. Understand that his word is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the things that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago are still spoke, speaking to you and I even as he was in this room, which he is. But you must understand that when he said, it is finished, he was giving a proclamation. He was announcing not just to Jerusalem, not to those who were just there, but he's announcing to the entire world that it is finished. He has cleared, he has canceled our debt that we owe to the Father. Are you with me so far? And you need to understand that this was a debt that you could not afford. It's a debt that I could not afford. It's a debt that no man on this face of the earth from the beginning to the end could never accomplish. God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The debt that was owed to God was that which was lost by Adam. Luke 19 and 10, the Bible said, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And when he says that he's talking about the 100% perfection that God desires. Are you perfect today? Not by far. He's talking about a life without no flaw. A life without spot. A life without blemish. A life without no sin. A life without no darkness. A life without no disgrace. A life without no mistakes. Are you with me so far? In other words, he was looking for 100 perfection and we could not give it. Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 48, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And I don't know about you, if, if I was trying to be perfect, it wouldn't happen. It couldn't happen. I can't accomplish it. You can't accomplish it. The world cannot accomplish the perfection that God desired. God sent his son. Are you listening? He sent his only begotten son. Born of a virgin. Born in Bethlehem. Born from above. The incarnation the God-man. Jesus was not only 100% man, he was also 100% God. He was the perfection. There was no imperfection in him. He was flawless. He was holy. He was perfect. He was magnificent. And he walked this earth dressed as a man, lived as a man. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He lived 33 years on this earth without falling, without stumbling, not once. Only God could accomplish that. We, we don't understand the perfection because we all have sinned and we all have fallen short to the glory of God. In fact, James, he, he brings it to where the rubber meets the road. James 2 and 10. He says that, that whoever keeps the whole law of God and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I want to try my best right now to, to, to show you the best that I know how. How perfect Adam really was. I mean, ha have you ever really considered what he was like? Because you see, before the fall, he was Christ-like. He was the first Adam. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. In other words, Adam, before the fall, was very much like our Savior. He was flawless, blameless, pure, and holy. But let me show you how holy and how perfected he was and how perfectly God made him, what we find in Genesis 5 and 5, a glimpse of that. I'm going to have to explain it because it may be a little over your head. But it says all together, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. And so... Throughout the years, the perfection of, of, of Adam has quickly fell off. 
In other words, Adam was so perfect that, that even with sin in his life, he still lived 930 years. That was a perfect man. You see, there was, he was nothing like us. There was no sickness in him. There was nothing in him. And finally, after 930 years of carrying this first sin, death finally came and took him out. And now we, we are so far from God, we make so many mistakes, we're so impure, we're so unholy without Christ that, that we strive to live. We exercise, we pop vitamins, we do all that we can, we, all that we can do possibly physically, but, but, but nevertheless, around 70 to 100, death takes us out. Because through imperfection, through sin, through all this corruption, the perfection of Adam has fell off, 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 until now it's a, it's a very unclear picture of what he really looked like. And so now we, 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 we strive to be perfect and we cannot accomplish it. And, and, and in the process we're dying physically. Mentally and spiritually, but, but let me just say this through Christ the, the, the power of God dwells in us And even though the, the tent that we're living in is is coming apart Inside us we have something called eternal life And that light that fire will never die ever ever again I was thinking this week about an illustration to give you about perfection. And, and this is a poor illustration, but, but I want to use it anyway because it's what I have. <laughs> so bear with me. I was thinking about if I could be perfect, it, it would be like me physically trying to get to Hawaii without a plane, ship, or car. First of all, I would have to, to, to walk to, to Florida, close to 1,500 miles. And so that'd be a long walk. It'd probably take me close to three years to get there. Come on, amen. But, but when I finally got to Florida, I would then have to jump into the ocean. And then I'd have to swim all the way to, to Hawaii, which is about 4,500 miles from there. And if you've ever seen me swim, you would know that I wouldn't get very far. I'm, I'm a rock swimmer. I don't swim, I swim like a rock. I don't do well in water. In other words, in all my strength and all my power, it could not happen. I couldn't get to Hawaii. In fact, I, even if I was Mark Spitz, you don't know who that is, do you? I know you young people don't know Mark Spitz. But Mark Spitz back in the 70s was a nine-time gold medalist swimmer. Come on. Y'all remember Mark Spitz? Even if I was Mark Spitz, I couldn't swim to Hawaii. You know why? Because it is impossible. I know that's a terrible illustration. But Jesus said these words in Luke 18 and 27. What is impossible with man is 
possible with God. And he shows us the possibility in John 14 and 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, if you're trying to come to me, into the Father, into the kingdom of heaven, into heaven itself, in any other way, any other means, you will never make it. Because you have to enter through the gate. You have to enter through the doorway. You have to enter through God. God sent his son Jesus to make a way when there was no way. I'm going to rewind a little bit before our story. Jesus, he tells us something that we need to take note of. I know I'm boring y'all this morning, but hang with me. But Jesus tells us something about a few chapters prior before he died. He says, no one takes my life. Everybody said no one took his life. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to raise it up again. I'll go ahead and read that for you. John 10, 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Now let me bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. We all know that scripture that tells us in the book of Romans 6 and 23 that, that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In other words, since there was no sin in his life, I'm going to take it slow. Since there was no sin, the death angel could not lay a finger on him the death angel could only pass by in his heart in his heart he was probably designed to take Jesus but you see there was no sin in his life that gave him the authority to take his life Jesus was sinless in other words Jesus by his grace had to give death an opportunity to take him. In other words, he had to surrender his life for your life so the deaf angel could take him. Let's read this. Philippians 2 and 8. And, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on the cross. Now don't think for a moment that, that death is just something that happens to us. No, 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 no. Death is not something that happens to us. Death is a being. Death is a principality, power, and a ruler of the darkness of this world. Death is not something that just happens. Death is out to take you. Death is longing for you. Are you with me so far? He, he has the power 
to overcome this body, to, to, to destroy it, to, to whatever he does, to take your soul. And he's hungry. But my Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, because Jesus had no sin, he had to take our sin upon himself in order that the death angel could take him. And now that he took the sins of the world upon himself, the death angel came and chained him to darkness. But he could only hold him for three days. Come on, amen. I know this is Easter. <laughs> it's Easter right here in Millwood. My Bible says in 1 John 4 and 10, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now I'm finna share a good illustration. I like this one. Where'd Kristen go? Slipped out on me. She needed to hear this one. Can you hear me back there? Hallelujah, there she is. That's good timing, right? We planned that. I'm just kidding, we didn't. For several weeks now, we're not doing it now, but for several weeks now, me and my wife has been watching this program on Netflix. And the program is simply entitled Hoarders. And, 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 and we, we watch episode after episode, and, and I have been totally amazed at how much junk, how much trash, how much filthiness that a human being can cram into their little home. Trying to get to the bathroom, trying to get to the kitchen, climbing over hills of trash. Where you going, preacher? I'm going to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Can I preach this? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your, with your bodies. And so here's what's really amazing to me is how much junk and trash they try to hang on to while at the same time there's somebody there standing and knocking at the door. I'm ready to clean out your house completely, free of charge, spotless, no more junk, no more trash, no more crap. Dog crap. It's piled up in there as well. Feces and you, it's in the house. And so they're there to clean it out. Oh, but I hear in my spirit this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying to me, are we trying to hoard up sin in our lives? Are we trying to hold on to the junk, the trash, and the filthiness that God has called you out? He stands at the door and he knocks. 
And he's ready to come inside to clean out your filth, to clean out your drunk, to clean out all the things inside of you that is abomination unto God. But you see, we're just trying to hold on. Trying to hold on to stuff that amounts to nothing. In that story, you, you see these people are hanging on to, to the nothing. That's us. I, I need I need this sin. I need to hold on to it for I might need it a little bit later. Just a little longer. No. Jesus said, you got to let the junk out of your life. You got to let, let me come in and clean you out from top to bottom. Because I know about your little room that you have in the back that no one knows about. You got your junk piled up. But I want in that room. And I want to come in and I want to clean out your computers. I want to clean out the filth on your TV. I want to clean out your life. I want you to be spot and blemishless. Holy. And he's there. He's knocking. All oh, but our text says in verse 28, later knowing that everything had been finished, the scriptures would be fulfilled that Jesus said, I am thirsty. I got to looking into this, this Greek word, everything. And what came to my mind will, will make my mama and Miss Dola laugh. But what came to my mind is that, that when we were children, I don't know if y'all remember this, but, but when we were children, and right before summer vacation, the teacher would give us something called the report card. Oh, I hated the report card. Because you know I wasn't the sharpest Crayola in the box. And, and I dreaded the report card. In fact, if you ever wanted to see me pray as a kid, I was praying on the way home. Don't you open that report card. And I'm thinking, I got to look inside. Because on the inside, it tells me something. Either I failed or I passed. Looking into the Greek word for everything, it's the word past. Y'all can remember that, can't you? And, and, and what that means is simply this. It, it means that, 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 that Jesus has accomplished, He's done thoroughly through and through. As many as there is to be done, he completed it. Jesus took my F and he gave me an A plus. The, the only A plus I ever got in life was my blood type and I didn't have nothing to do with that. But I'm proud to have A plus. It, it is a gift from my father. But here's what I'm really glad. That when I cross over, and when I do cross over and I go home to my father, and he opens up my, my life's report card, he's going to see written by the blood of the lamb that Kip Brockway has passed. Because his son did everything for me. Are y'all enjoying this so far? I get an A. Something Leland I didn't deserve. It, it, it was just like he, he did it for me. He went through the courses. He, 
all the struggles that I had. I, he did all the reading. He did all the math. Everything I could not do, he did it. Amen. I was good at science. You got a bug, I'm on. I tell you how many legs a creature has. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is how detailed Jesus was in fulfilling everything. He did not leave not one stone unturned. In fact, when you read in, in the book of Psalms, you find that David, the man after God's own heart, he tells us how the Messiah would not only be thirsty, but he tells us exactly what he'd be thirsty for, what to give him. This is like 700 years prior to it happened. In other words, if they would have soaked the sponge in orange juice, milk or Gatorade or whatever it was they had back then, and they placed that to his lips, it would have disqualified him. In other words, the people around Jesus was actually fulfilling the word of God without even knowing it. You know why? Because it was God's will for them to do so. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 to 9, it helps us to understand this. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. Oh, in other words, yeah, we're going to do this, but God said, yeah, you're going to do this, but I'm going to make sure you do it my way. God is in control. Are you with me? So listen to these prophecies. This is phenomenal. You got to understand, this is like 700 years before it happened. David said, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. A pot shirt is a piece of clay pottery that is so dry and so brittle that it breaks. That's what Job scraped his sores with, with a pot shirt. My mouth is so dried up like a pot shirt in my tongue. It sticks to the roof of my mouth. You, you lay me in the dust of death. Listen, dogs surround me. A band of evil men encircle me. Listen, they pierce my hands and my feet. Listen, this type of execution was not even created yet. There was not a such thing as a cross. But David's saying, they pierced my hands, they pierced my feet. My tongue is stuck to the roof of my mouth. David didn't even really understand what he was saying, but God gave him the word, so he spoke it. Proverbs, Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 69 and 21, they put gall in my food, and they gave me vinegar, oxos, for my thirst. Now, here's what's going to really bless you, I hope. It blessed me. What I learned about, about the plant called hyssop, and I love the illustration that God gave me. He said, first of all, when you put the sponge on anything, it absorbs it. Correct? And, and this hyssop, this plant itself, was so bitter that it would taste like those antibiotics you put in your mouth and they begin to dissolve before you can swallow it. Come on. Then you get in a rush and it sticks to your tongue and it's like, well, come on, amen. That's basically what hyssop would taste like. 
And so they, they put this sponge on, on this hyssop plant and it begins to absorb from one end and on the other side they stick it into this, this terrible vendor, oxos. In other words, what they put to his mouth was something so undrinkable, but it was a form of torture. In other words, when you have someone so thirsty for anything, he was willing to drink it. And what the Holy Spirit said to me this week, every time that we decide to practice our sins on purpose, it's like taking that foul sponge and putting it right back to his mouth. Say, here you go, God. You want another drink? Here you go, Father. Here you go, Jesus. Have a drink up, man. No, 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 no. But here's what's going to mess with your head. Is that when Jesus said the last words, it was not three words. We all know it is finished. What it really says is the word teleo, one word. Teleo. Teleo. I'm sure it was a whisper. Teleo. And see, teleo, it simply means, this one word means to completely end something. To complete it, to conclude it, to accomplish it, to make an end, to finish it. See, this was a common word in Jerusalem because this word, teleo, was a word of celebration. In other words, when a man who would owe a debt to his debtors for year after year, for 30 years, 40 years, he finally pays off his house, he would leave that place saying, teleo, I'm celebrating, it's completed, I did it, it's done. And Jesus on the cross was celebrating your life, my life. He said the word, not it is finished, but teleo, completed, canceled, done. And what God showed me this week was just, just beyond my understanding why he would even give me something so phenomenal. We, we find that, that way in the very beginning of all time, God also celebrated by saying the word finished. Genesis 2 and 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And this is the Hebrew word kalah. It means to end, to cease, to finish, to fulfill. And in other words, when God completed the earth in the beginning, he celebrated. And in the same way today, when he completes you, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all this is from God who has reconciled him to himself in Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In the beginning, God celebrated when he was finished. And then every time that someone comes to the cross and they die to self in complete repentance and they give their life to God and he fills them with his spirit, they become a new creation and he shouts from the heaven, Teleos! Or what? Thank you. Kala. It's finished. I close with this. 
Luke 15, 8 through 10. Jesus says, suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends, her neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. This ain't the angels celebrating. It says, in the presence of the angels. Every time that a sinner comes to the cross, Jesus is telling, oh, come on, amen. He is celebrating like David, dancing in heaven over one sinner who comes to the cross and Jesus saves him. But back to the story of the hoarder. I noticed something else in that program. In all their junking, in all their hoarding, they somehow lose their most valuable possessions. I was amazed that one man, he lost the ashes of his wife. People lost pictures of their loved ones. They lost the most important things in their life and they're lost in all their junk and trash. And I close with this thought. Let's all stand. God says these words to my heart right now. The world around us is sinning so much that they're hoarding their sin. And by doing so, they've lost the most valuable treasure of all. Life. Inside their hoard, their castle of sin, they can't even find life. I know it's here somewhere. Where did I leave it? And they dig and they, they try to uncover it in their own strength and power, but it's too overwhelming. The house is full from front to back. Where's my life? I'm looking for life. It's here somewhere. Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock and I'll take all the trash out and in the end, I will give you life. Here it is. I had it the whole time. And it won't cost you anything but faith. Just reach out and take it. And it's yours. Free. Come on, everybody say hallelujah. I said, somebody say Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that I'm not my own, that I was bought with a price. And so I have this body, and, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to keep the junk out of it because every time I go to the thrift store, I want to bring more into it. When I say thrift store, I'm talking about the world. Every time I step out into it, there's something I see that I want to bring in my house. I don't need it. I don't need your junk. I don't need your trash devil. My house ain't been swept clean. My house has been washed in the blood. Come on, amen. My house has been purified, justified, glorified, sanctified, set apart for God by the blood. I have something to celebrate. Tell you.
is finished. And I'm going to give up the ghost. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to give it up. I give it up to the king who's in control. I come to the gates. And Peter said, what do you got in your suitcase? Oh, just something I want to hang on to. He said, let me look inside. And he looks inside the suitcase and it's full of gold. He says, son, what are you bringing all that asphalt up in here in the heaven? <laughs> Come on, amen. We can't take it with us. There's one thing we can take with us. And that is we walk in heaven with Jesus in our hand. We come up to the judge of judge, the father. And my turn is his son, Jesus. How can I lose? How, I can't lose. Because I'm holding on to the nail-scarred hands of Christ. And the father says, not guilty. Woo! Hallelujah. Not guilty. You guys have a blessed day. If you need prayer, I'm here. Come on up here. Let me pray for you.